Video Game Book Club Podcast. Today we're discussing Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. I'm your host Marcus and joining me today as always are the homies. First up we have Trevor. What's going on? What's going on, man? Uh, next we have Greg. What's up? What's up? And last but not least we got the homie Dante. Let's go, homies. <laughs> uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. So I'm going to kick it off to Dante because it is his game for the month of June. And then he is going to lead our discussion for the game. So Dante, take it away. All right. Well, I'm going to jump right into the intro. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice is a single-player action game um, that is also open world. And it was developed by From Software and published by Activision. Game was first released in March twenty second, um, twenty nineteen, for Windows, Steam specifically, PS four and Xbox One. And although they've been releasing games since nineteen ninety four, FromSoft is primarily known for the Dark Souls series, which I think the first one was twenty ten, and Sekiro is the first FromSoft game published by Activision. Normally, their games have been published by Bandai and Namco ever since Dark Souls, but they shipped, they switched over for Sekiro. And you might have heard of them because recently one of their games, Demon Souls, was remade by Bluepoint Games, who also remade Shadow of the Colossus, which we covered last year, I'd like to say. So, FromSoft began work on Sekiro in 2015 after they got done with Bloodborne. And the game was headed by Hidetaka Miyazaki, who is the lead director of the Soul series, more or less, and From's primary visionary. Early on in development, the team considered making it a spiritual successor to Tenchu, but decided they wanted to separate themselves from that and their previous work in the Soul series. So unlike the Souls game before, Sekiro didn't include any multiplayer functionality, as... um. They said it created certain limitations for what they wanted to do with Sekiro. Later, the Remnant system would be patched in, which allows players to leave um, other players in World Notes, like previous previous From Software games did. So it does have a little bit of asynchronous multiplayer that was patched in much, much later. I think the Remnant patch didn't come until late 2020, from my understanding. And Sekiro fixed... Um, features a completely fictional setting, although it's based on the Sengoku period of Japan, and also integrated into the game is a lot of Buddhist mythology and symbolism, some of which is actually directly integrated into the gameplay and a lot of the items the player picks up. Like many FromSoft games before, Sekiro mixes realism and fantasy, providing many distinct areas in the world. The word Sekiro itself means one-armed wolf, which plays a major aspect, um, plays into a major aspect of the gameplay that we'll discuss later. And one thing that did carry over from the Souls games um, is the emphasis on combat and um, specific defense, and also the renowned challenge that all the Souls games are known to have. Sekiro sits at an 89 average on Metacritic and received several Game of the Year awards in 2019. The Game of the Year edition came out um, with new skins, a boss challenge mode, and the remnant system that I discussed earlier. 
And that's pretty much it for just the intro intro. So let's see. I guess before we start going into our own backgrounds. Yeah, let's go go ahead and go into our own background. So, Marcus, tell me, what's your history with FromSoft and the Soul series? Zero. Oh, wow. This is legit your first Souls game? Yes. Nice. <laughs> and, I mean, I, oh. I, I, I was aware, I guess, our, our mutual friend Thomas, I saw him play a game before and be annoyed by it and whatnot and i always just took it up as he is not uh i would say as accomplished of a video game player as as us um so i just thought it was him just normally struggling with the game but um I, I, I oh, do it was totally just him just normally struggling with the game for the most part <laughs> i mean but i do know that the game has a uh uh, history or a reputation of being a difficult game. So uh, some of my my friends that are uh, the people that grew up, you know, like the the knock that I give the Ninja Gaiden people, like it's the same circle. The Venn diagram to me of <laughs> the people that enjoy Ninja Gaiden are also the same people that enjoy like from soft game, from soft games. Fair enough. Um, I'm looking through. Realm Software's previous titles, and I'm just going to list off some of the series that they've worked on, just just in case you might have touched one of them. So, Kingsfield, I don't think anybody here played Kingsfield. They also are behind the Armored Core games, which is a pretty popular series. The, the uh, Armored Core series, I never played it, but I was always intrigued by, I think it was Tips and Tricks, every month. Uh, I would get the tips and tricks, and they somebody that was a subscriber would send in their build for their mech, so you could like mimic. And so, like that was always one of my favorite sections in tips and tricks. It was like a one or two page section of the magazine, and it was like somebody doing a write up about their mech and saying how they built their mech and everything. And I always thought that was really cool, and also just okay. the ridiculous uh, control uh, gaming rig, I guess you could say, for that game was also od. Um, they also did a Togi, which I've heard of a lot, but I don't think I've ever played. Metal Wolf Chaos sounds super familiar, but Ninja Blade. Oh yeah, I did play that. Okay. They actually did, um, not the original Steel Battalion, but Steel Battalion Heavy Armor, which I think is the Connect um, version of Steel Battalion, which is interesting. Huh. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, anyway, that's most of the main games that you might have at least heard of from them, I feel like. No, nah, I've never played any of them. Cool. Um, Greg? Um, so, I've played maybe like five or six hours of Demon Souls when that first came out. And probably, I don't know, three or four hours of Dark Souls, like couple years after that had come out and uh this is my first time actually playing uh Sekiro cool cool and have you played any of their previous titles from what you uh, uh just Ninja Blade and then some of the Armored Core games like I, I think I played the first couple on PlayStation and maybe the first one that came out on PS2 I used to really play those games a lot but I think that's it cool cool 
How about you, Trevor? So, whew, I started Dark Souls way back when, maybe, what, eight, nine years ago? Okay. Um, and Dang, that, okay, Dark Souls is a 2011 game, which that's a lot later than I think most people tribute it to being since it was like a PS3 360 thing. Yeah, um, I, hmm, I tried it and quickly realized it wasn't for me. Um, actually fell off of it because I got lost in the game, but I didn't quite get the appeal of it at the time. And then when other games started coming out, like, I think it wasn't until the remake of Demon's Souls that, um, you know, people, or it may have been around the, the time the sequel came out for Dark Souls, um, when people started, when I started hearing people talk about it more, and I was like, oh, people really love this game. Well, I never got far enough in it to, to see what that was about, um, and just was, really never jumped back into it. What were you going to say? I was going to say, the sequel to Demon's Souls was last year. People, people have been on this train for a while now. Yeah. And it's that's why like... I kind of corrected myself and said, you know, people I, that I had heard talking about it. Um, but uh, I also intended on playing Bloodborne just because it was one of the games that um, I wanted to play like a lot of the um, PlayStation exclusives. And that mm-hmm. was one of the first games I picked up when I got my PS4 just because I think it was on sale at the time. So it wasn't too expensive. But... I picked that up and just never got around to it. But I know about um, the Soul series and kind of the the uh, the talk that surrounds them, I guess. And I I kind of get the appeal of them, so they all have that similar um, gameplay style. Yeah, I guess. I can go ahead and explain a little bit of the difference as I kind of go over my history with the series. So, um, I started with Demon Souls, and let me see. Demon Souls came out in 09. I feel like I might have started that game maybe in 2010. And I was like, oh man, this is way too hard. Like, I'm just running this loop on the very first, like, that one's actually kind of segmented into worlds and stuff. And one one, I probably ran through that thing like five or six times, and I didn't beat it. And I'm like, oh man. Can, for for us laymen that have never played, when you say five or six times, is that like five minutes each run? Is that an hour oh, no, each no, run? No, 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 no. Um, Demon <laughs> Souls is a lot more mean about checkpointing and stuff like that. So one one is literally probably like. If you're playing at a decent pace, I'd say a 15-minute thing. So you you you, um, you can get checkpoints or um you can get like shortcuts, but still like it's significantly further than most of the checkpoints are in Sekiro. Okay, so you're you're losing 20 to 30 minutes of uh play time every time you start over. Well, this is a how do I say this? Like that is a deeper question than we're making it out to be because we've got to define what losing 
time is because you're also like you retain some things upon death in that game so it's not really a time sink okay yeah but you are losing like you know you're going back i can't not say that you know (laughs) And then but, don't deaths in that in that game also have to do like a with like a light and dark system or whatever where like the world becomes like like I don't I don't know the the terminology so, for it but so the thing about Demon Souls and they've actually streamlined a lot of this stuff is a lot of the mechanics in Demon Souls are very esoteric so there is something called world tendency and you start at neutral. But depending on how you're performing and also depending on how the people on your server are performing, you can end up in light world tendency or dark world tendency. And if you're in light world tendency, like, I think the game's easier, but the items that you get, typically speaking, aren't um, as good. Like, some of the unlockable stuff you find along the path isn't as good. But then if it turns into dark world tendency, like, the enemies become harder, but then that's the only way you can get certain items and, like, it makes it a lot easier to farm materials if you're trying to upgrade your sword or your magic or whatever. And then Demon Souls also has a mechanic where your main character has the ability to be essentially like among the living or the dead. So when you first start the game, you're living. But if you get killed, then you enter a state of death. There are certain items that can get you out of that, but while you're dead... Your health bar is literally halved. So it can kind of suck to die in that game, even though it's kind of like the norm. So you kind of get used to playing with... You You get used to playing with half health bar, but at the same time you get an item in that very first 1-1 one, one that gives you essentially like three quarters of health bar if you equip it. So yeah, it has a lot of mechanics to it. <laughs> I feel like... But, uh, I don't know if my memory is right on that game, but I also feel like early on in that game... They're really bad about having like these situations where you just don't know that something is gonna kill you or like it'll just be this weird situation. You'll go around a corner and then there's just an enemy right there and you really had no idea of knowing that they're gonna Yeah, be there. they definitely um they they are a little meaner in that game than most of the other Souls games where they will like there's like this one scene that's infamous about one one's bridge dragon where you're running across this giant bridge and you just see like a big swarm of enemies and you're like, okay, I'm about to take them on. Then you run to them and then this dragon just swoops in and kills everything on that bridge. And that's like kind of right before the main check or the main like shortcut. I'm so, not going to lie. That sounds like my my time playing Sekiro. Every time I showed up someplace, <laughs> I got killed. They at least telegraph most of your kills, though. It wasn't like somebody just, like... There wasn't a shinobi that just jumped out of a tree and, like, backstabbed you for a one-hit kill. Yeah, Sekiro was like, sure. oh, I'm just gonna run up on this dude, and, oh, he he's strong. <laughs> but, um... So, yeah, I played through Demon Soul, like, put it down, then came back to it and realized how cool it was. Played through it. Eventually got to Dark Souls pretty much had a very similar experience where I kind of got lost in that first area, but then picked it up like five or six months later. Actually, no, it was actually a year or two later where I was like, okay, I can actually play this game and beat it and got through it, got through dark souls two, which is kind of like personally my low point in the series. It's not white is 
it's not up to the standard of as the other games. Then I think I forget where three and Bloodborne fall, but I played through both of those in the DLC and got to Sekiro. So that's pretty much like my history with the series. So you're essentially like a huge fan of the series, you would say, since you've played them all. I'm assuming to completion, or you just dabbled in them? I've, I've definitely played them all to completion. I haven't beaten every boss, because these games are kind of infamous for having a lot of like secret areas and hidden boss bosses that are like outside of the normal path. In fact, one of the... Um, I guess more controversial things about the original Dark Souls is the DLC. You buy it, and the way you get to it is so weird and esoteric. There's almost no way you'd get to it with like without using a guide of some sort. But it is what it is. <laughs> anyway, so that's pretty much everybody's, I guess, background with the From Software and the Souls series. So before we get into the actual discussion about the game, I do want to kind of set up the intro scene and also a little bit about like how Sekiro differs from previous Souls games. So what I have here, um, Sekiro breaks the mold of um, From Software games by having a pre-designated voice protagonist. So like all the other Souls games, more or less, you create your own character and they're non-voiced throughout the entire story. So, um, Sekiro is less ambiguous than most of the Souls games in which most of the narrative is gained from reading and also inferral through certain items or, like, things that happen in the actual world itself. So, the story takes place during the Sengoku period. Ishin Ashina rules over the land of Ashina after the Kupi staged about 20 years prior to the game's events. Sometime during that period, Wolf, the main protagonist, is trained by his adopted father, Al, in the ways of the shinobi. And sometime after that training, Wolf becomes the protector of Kuro, the divine hare. So the Ashina clan is facing pressure from outside threats. And as a Hail Mary, Genichiro, the adopted grandson of Ishin, plots to capture Kuro for his divine heritage... Because essentially the divine heritage, anybody that's able to, I guess, gain that is able to live for forever. So his plan is to create like an immortal army of sorts. So in the tutorial for this game, which is like maybe the first 30, 45 minutes, Sekiro tries to escort Kuro away from um, the area they're in, but is tracked down and confronted by Genichiro in the process. During the clash with Genichiro, Sekiro loses, and um, his hand is severed, and he's also killed. But he's able to survive since he has um, Kuro's divine heritage within him. Shortly after, he meets a sculptor who provides him a prosthetic arm, and that's pretty much where the actual real part of the game begins. Can I ask a um, question just going back a little bit? You, did you say why you selected this game? Did I miss that? No, I did not. So, I I was kind of thinking about all the games we've played. And personally, I found it kind of criminal that we had not touched a so- From Software game. So, I was like, I either want to get one of these games on the list. 
or a horror game because we've only played one horror game. So that was kind of my mentality going in. And I don't know, like, I go back and forth on whether Sekiro was like the right From Software game. Granted, I tried to get a lot of other From Software games on the list, but the right one was Armored Core. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't going to happen, not by me. No, we supposed to play a mech game. I'm a (laughs) yeah. I'm not the mech guy on this podcast. Like, I feel like from what I played this, I feel like this is the most approachable From Software. Like, if we're going to play a Souls game, so I feel like this is like the most approachable one out of all of them. I feel like. So, yes and no. Yes and no. Because it's a it's like a double sided sword. No pun intended right there. But um <laughs> The game this game is a lot more straightforward in the story because you actually have these voice cutscenes and stuff. I know that some of you had problems finding out where to go, but really this game is generally linear. Like you start like after you get to the carver. Your main goal is to get to Ashina Castle. If you literally just follow the steps, like the literal steps on the ground, you will get to Ashina Castle from there. Aside from the little um, diversion through that valley with the snake. And then, typically speaking, like, it is a very straightforward game as far as its combat mechanics, as far as, like, how they're laid out. Like, they describe the block, they describe the parry... They describe, like, the prosthetic. And it's just a matter of getting good at those things. And I know get good is a very big meme in the Souls community. But Sekiro is very much about, like, hey, we're going to give you most of these tools, like, off the bat. You just got to get good at them. Whereas the other Souls games, there's a lot of esoteric items. There's a lot of... um asynchronous multiplayer which can be a major boon or a major curse depending on how you play because they have a literal invasion system where you can just be playing and if you're dead people can invade your game and if they invade your game it's like oh i have to fight another human amidst all these monsters but on the other hand you can summon people to your world and like if you get stuck on a boss you could potentially like summon people and literally just sit back and watch them just wail on the boss and take it out for you. So it's a very, I don't know, yes and no answer to your question because on some aspects it's super more like user-friendly at the end of the day, but at the same time, like you cannot cheese Sekiro in the same way you can cheese literally any other from like Souls game, if that makes sense. Yeah, what what my hang-up was with the other Souls games was I always felt like I was playing them incorrectly because you had so many decisions to make as far as, like, how you wanted to spec your build. So it's like, I always felt like I was playing it wrong, but at least the advantage to it with this game for me is I didn't have to worry about that. It's just pretty much combat, yeah, you know what I mean? Sekiro is 100%, 1,000% about execution, whereas, like, Souls is a mix of execution and then also build and also how much are you aware of these items that are available to you? So, yeah, it, It's a very interesting thing, and they actually did a very good job of making Sekiro very distinct from their previous Souls games, in my opinion. 
So um, let me look back at this. Did I answer your question, by the way, Marcus? Yeah, you did. I, I have more questions, like follow-up stuff. I didn't really go, take any ahead, notes for this game. Oh, no, I'm just saying I can just – do you mind if I ask them throughout? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so the only other the only follow up I have right now is how did you expect the reception to be to this game? <laughs> Just based off well, of what you know for me and Trevor, we don't have to get into the actual gameplay or whatever. But did you did you go in here thinking that me and Trevor were going to be like, "Yo, this game is dope," or was it just kind of like a spite choice? So, <laughs> I kind my personal take, and this is the same take I told Thomas. I did say like. I think that you guys kind of went in with the mentality that you weren't going to like it. And then I think it, I'm not justifying everything, but I am saying some of that, like some of the difficulty stuff you guys ran into, I feel like it was kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where it's like, oh, I'm dying and I'm not being successful right now. And that's what I'm expecting. Gotcha. Whereas like, you know, like after I, I guess full disclosure for the viewers, I watched Marcus play a little bit and we ended up rectifying a decent amount of stuff. And I think part of the stuff that like, how am I trying to say this? Like the whole health situation thing that we've resolved. Mm -hmm. Like I think you had such of an expectation about the game being hard and that's just quote unquote the way it is instead of like, Oh, there's actually a way to upgrade this that it kind of backfired in a way. I, I think Does that's that probably sense? I think that's probably fair. I, I think uh not trying to go too too far ahead, but you had said <laughs> that this was the one of the easier games and you were oh, talking. No, no, of- no, no. I I shouldn't have said that. Like Sekiro from a difficulty standpoint is kind of seen as the hardest from oh. software game. Oh, okay. Cause, cause like I, from a pure combat perspective. Because the other ones, like Souls games are based on your build. You have a level, you start at well depending on which build you start at the beginning of the game, like you could be naked, which is level one. You could be like a Royal, which I think is like level nine or 10, but essentially you can go as far as you want. I don't even know if there's a literal level cap. It might be like nine, nine, nine. So you can kind of, what's it called? Just grind out. So to speak. Yeah. But you can't really do that in Sekiro. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I have, yeah, if you can go ahead. I'm sorry for interrupting. I have like, just every time we t- you say something, I have like spiraling, like forking questions, but I don't want to like. No, it's it's much. good. This I I feel like this is a good. I conversation, do have actually. one comment before we start getting into the game. I did mm-hmm. not intend on going into it hating it. Same. I I knew it was going to be difficult, but I think we talked about this when we ended up voting for um. Ah, what was the name of that game? Um. Uh, Resident Evil? No. Uh, ah, we played it like in January. Um, uh, Shinmu. Mm-hmm. When we played Shinmu, I think I had mentioned that when it comes to Dante's list, I usually choose the game that is out of my comfort zone. Because mm-hmm. y'all are confused as to why I picked that over, I think it was like uh, one of the Mario games on 64. Oh, Mario 64. RPG was a potential. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's pretty much spot on for Sekiro. Of course, I think all of the games that Dante had on his list were outside of my comfort zone, Mm -hmm. but I think with Sekiro, like 
like I said, when I was going through like my history with the Souls games, I know that they're regarded as good games. Um, and I know what type of gameplay comes along with the Souls games, which is why I assumed I wasn't going to have a fun time. But I didn't go into the game thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to hate this game. Um, but I, I knew I was going to have a difficult time with because of the the difficulty that I had already heard of from this game. Um, but I don't know. You you got on the markets pretty early. You're like, man, I don't know what's difficult about this. I don't know what problem. Yeah, you sure did. Y'all know, y'all even know I get, after the tutorial. <laughs> y'all know every game. I give you my hot take from like the first 30 minutes of the game. <laughs> you guys just booted it up. The start screen's not that hard. <laughs> I don't know what everybody's talking about. The Sekiro game being difficult. I'm, I'm like a, a J. Cole fan. Whenever I start up the game, it's like, man, this, this is my jam right here. It's only two seconds into the song. I'm a shinobi. Yeah, like I, 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 I want to echo what Trevor said. Like I didn't think that I, I didn't go in hating the game. I like, I, I always felt like if I were to play a FromSoft game, from what I knew about it, I figured like I would enjoy it and like would um, deep dive on it. So like I was always kind of like, oh, I, this is this is this sounds like a game that I would obsess over, um, just knowing the types of games. I play and how I like to play games. I was like, mm-hmm. once I get the hang of it, I think that I would obsess over it. One of the things I did not like from the jump for Sekiro, especially compared to the Souls games, which they're the only ones that I have like um, any knowledge about, is that I was like, oh, I can't play the play style I wanted to because I, I would have opted to do more of like a ranged class if I could mm-hmm. like, you know, kind of play a type of character and in this game yeah. it was like oh you're like you know a shinobu and or whatever shinobi uh and like you have to get up close and personal and like so knowing that i was like oh maybe i should have played one of the other games because also too just the like you said being able to level up like i i would have felt more uh like yeah, I was so making that was kind of like you know when i had have hesitation about you saying, oh, well, when you die, you lose, you know, you're just losing time in the Souls games. It's like, well, you're dying, but at the same time, like, a lot of times when you go back, it's to level up or get some item or do an upgrade. So that is something different between, like, the Souls gameplay loop and the Sekiro gameplay loop when, like, you die in one of those games, it's like, okay, what can I do about my equipment? Whereas Sekiro, it's like, okay, what can I do about my strategy? Yeah, and and so that's what I wasn't expecting. Uh, definitely between the two, I, 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 to be honest, I just thought this was a Souls game draped in Japanese aesthetics, and didn't mm-hmm. realize that it was a completely like there there were some tweaks to the formula. So yeah, it is it is definitely a FromSoft game, but it is also a very I would say it's the biggest departure they've done so far. Like. Bloodborne's a pretty big departure. Demon Souls is, in its own way, some, like, it's weird saying it's a departure, but it came first, but it is different than the typical Souls game. Then Sekiro is kind of its own thing. Mm-hmm. But after um, playing it, then it was like, yeah, I'm not, not feeling it. And I think I think it was just kind of me tricking myself into thinking that I would like, you know, having not played it and hearing about it on all these different mm-hmm. podcasts and everything, 
Uh, I quickly found out that I was mistaken, and I don't think this would be a type of game, or this Souls game would be a type of game that I would enjoy. I was going to save this question for later, but we're already here, I feel like. So, if you knew the stuff I taught you during that share play, and your theoretical, like, frustrations would have been, like, a lot lower off the bat, so you wouldn't have spent 90 minutes on that first boss, which that one admittedly isn't that bad in comparison to a lot of them and a lot of like the other potential deaths that held you back. Do you think, you know, the experience, your overall experience would have been different? I mean, to be honest, I feel like the only thing that would have changed is I would have gotten further in the game. I, I think that that's about it. Like I, I think, uh, the, we all agreed to like, at least put in 10 hours into this game. I think, and... Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Let me go ahead and backtrack and bring that up. So, um, Sekiro is a longer game than we typically tend to play on the podcast, so we try to limit things to, I'd say, about 15 hours or less for most of our main games. And Sekiro, I'd say first playthrough, you're looking 30 minimum. So, when I put it on the list, I said, I just expect them to play roughly 10 hours, give or take of the game just so they can get their feet wet and kind of get an understanding and i'd say pretty much everybody got roughly about a third of the way through the game but me i, I did finish the game just i felt a little obligated since you know it was my choice <laughs> but yeah i i think that like i if i had known what uh you had shown me earlier i just would have got further in that 10 hour chunk that I played and that would have been about it I, I still think I would have left with the same takeaway um, but I, I I think maybe I wouldn't have had some of that initial frustration with the game but I think inevi- inevitably I would have run into future frustrations yeah everybody hits a wall in this game I think that is something that is very just true to the Sekiro experience like this and the Souls games are known for their very distinct bosses and just, like, the challenge and uniqueness of their bosses. And there will be a boss that, you know, I do on my first try that will take somebody else, like, two hours. But inversely, there's going to be a boss that they one-shot, and then I'm just stuck there for, like, two and a half, three hours. And that's kind of, like... I know we talked about playstyle a little bit, and, like, Sekiro doesn't have, like oh, I have a range build, or I have, like, a defense build. But everybody tends to play this game a little bit differently from what I've seen. So just the style of combat differentiates between player and player. And even watching you and Trevor, I saw that a lot. One last... Go ahead, Trevor. I think I entered this game expecting to play it more like... um... Dark Souls, but then the mechanics of it, like the traversal and everything, it put me in the mindset of Assassin's Creed, and y'all probably know by now I'm a huge Assassin's Creed fan. A word? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, yeah, I'll I'll probably get into this later, but but yeah, that, that was the mindset going into this game, like when I first started, and I think you watched me play a little bit of it um like as i was progressing within like the first um hour or so 
Yeah, yeah, and I remember you really wanted it to be a stealth game. Yeah, and I don't even like stealth games, but I would have preferred this one have more stealth elements, but it's it I mean it's a dark I mean it's a from software game, so Yeah, and I mean stealth is definitely a big thing, but at the same time like they pretty much force you to like you're going to learn the mechanics or else. It's pretty much yeah. their, their stance on it. So you gotta get your hands I, dirty like, at some point. Exactly. So that's why they give you like a lot of enemies at the beginning of the game, just so you you get your feet wet, you get a feel for it, and it's like, okay, well, I can parry these guys. When I have to do these do or die parries on these bosses, hopefully I'll be ready for those. But um, I let's feel go like ahead uh, okay. Ahead. Oh, I was uh, I was just gonna say, and I feel like early on, the penalty for dying is like pretty low. Like, so it's not like, I mean, it, it is a little annoying, uh, dying mm-hmm. to like just general enemies over and over, like trying to get used to it, but it's not as, uh, it's not as punishing, I guess, as the other souls games where you have to go back and get your souls and you, like you're saying, you, you come back with like half health. So, you know, it's a, it's a little bit of a pain sometimes to try and recover from like a bad run. Whereas this game is kind of like, eh, hey, you lose some money and like, uh, I forget the system that's called, is it the unseen aid where like mm-hmm. uh you know you'll you'll lose some money and some of the uh some of the skill points that you have but it's not really that big of a deal you know right and that's something that you know a lot of souls players have a large like hurdle getting over when they're first getting into souls games where it's like oh no i lost all my souls but then you realize okay i lost a thousand souls when i beat this boss i'm about to get 6000 or 7000 so People will obsess over not losing stuff when the real answer is to just not care about losing stuff in the long run. So, which is kind of like one of those um, counterintuitive things in some ways. Like, you just have to, to be good, you just have to not care about losing, essentially, in a lot of cases. And the game doesn't really tell you that up front. It's something you just kind of have to find out over time. But I was going to go ahead and jump into um, gameplay mechanics. You were going to say something, Marcus? I was going to say that was my experience the entire game. It's like the game doesn't tell you. Just that's it. That's that's the the tweet. The game doesn't tell you. That was my experience. I I felt like there was a lot of secondhand knowledge that you had to have from playing previous Souls games in order to be great at this game. Really? Yes. I I won't say great, but I mean be successful. What were you missing? Because... Like, I, I didn't know, like, the whole quick get up thing, so I just, I was taking way more hits in combat than I should have been taking. Um, I don't feel like the game did a good enough, I didn't feel like the game did a great job of explaining how combat worked. Like, I understood, really? like... Did you? I, didn't, I was so, about to so, ask. So, I know where so, you're going, I know where you're going, Dante. So, I didn't know what the bars meant initially when they came up, and I know it became, like, self uh or like you you start to get it but like i it didn't i i didn't i didn't grasp it fully and then um the uh like i said i think i said a, a lot of the items i just had no idea what they did and so like and it, it seemed like a lot of items it was like why why is this here like this isn't going to help me do the thing that i needed to do or do do anything um and i like i wasn't 
I think one of the comments you made earlier about me making the game harder than it was, I didn't know you could, like, I was trying to parry everything and not block stuff. So, like, I've since seen people play where they're holding the block button, like, the entire time and moving and stuff. And, like, I didn't understand because I was like, if I parry it, I'm not going to get, I'm going to be able to counterattack. And why would I want to just block and then take a whole bunch of... Uh, so, like, it just... I, w- I guess I was, like, not playing the game the way I should have. And I think partly, like you said, it was just me making the game harder. But I think partly, too, it's like... there. I think there is some inherent knowledge that you have to have coming into this game. Because I don't think the, the tutorial... Like, I think it just shows you the bare basics. But it doesn't show you a lot of the nuances to help you be successful in this game. Greg, I'm going to let you handle this. Oh, you know, there's like a, a guy that you, that basically you can go to in like the, uh, I yeah, guess the yeah. beginning area. The little and he tried like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he gives you pretty much like all the mechanics. Like if you go through like the first three, like the rest of it unlocks. And then as you unlock some other skills, uh, you yeah, can also like train that stuff. Counter. Well, I yeah. didn't, I didn't unlock any skills until I was playing with Dante. Because I, <laughs> and like, I don't know, like, I, I'm sure, I don't know if you feel the same way, Trevor, if maybe it's just me, but like I said, I came in with zero souls experience and I just, it felt like to me, it was just kind of like, oh, you didn't play any other souls games, <laughs> like rubbing its hands as I was playing. Cause it's just like, oh, okay. Like I did those three training things with the guy and I, and I did them a couple times just to get a handle on the combat because I was dying a lot to just regular ass enemies and I know that's part of the appeals of the game is where it's like you're 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 building yourself up by breaking yourself down and you have to go through the slog but I, I just didn't feel like I was getting any advice combat wise on like other little nuanced things you can do the thing that I'll counter with is like the parry system is different than how it works in Dark Souls. So, like, even established from players, Souls players, didn't really have that. Because, like, parry is its own button. You're either blocking in Souls game or you can hit... It's like LB to block and then R2 to actually parry and then you can repost afterwards. So, like... I feel like it's just something you kind of get a feel for as you do combat. At least that was my case, from what I remember. Um, I was always like, I, I didn't see like, the... They do throw a lot of information your way at, at first. Like, there are a lot of tutorial messages that happen before you get to that, um, that, that field and that first fake boss fight. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't know if there's a good way to get back to those tutorial things. I actually tried to find one or two of those. Um, after the fact, but I couldn't figure out if they were in the menu or whatever. But they, I feel like they do do a pretty good job. Like if you just read the text explaining, like specifically what the parry meter does, what the you know your parry meter does. The revive thing's a little ambiguous, but that's kind of like. Oh yeah, that was almost <laughs> like a plot thing. <laughs> Yeah, there was a many times where I didn't revive because I was like, I don't want my unseen aid to go up higher, and like I didn't understand the unseen aid thing because I think you guys were saying it's inconsequential, but I was thinking it was like the thing from Hellblade send you a sacrifice. So I was like, if I get this up too high, then I'm just gonna be screwed, and like I'm just gonna have to start the game over. 
I don't think the game did a great job and I, and I did look up what it was and and it, it still was as clear as mud to me after looking it up and it seemed like that's a very uh, uh, controversial mechanic that they added uh, because I feel like mm-hmm. a lot of the Souls players that I was on the forums and stuff that I was looking at didn't really think that it really added anything to the game but I think these are people coming in with experience and them saying this so I don't know what it does for like new players like myself it just seems like it's like a oh crap this is really bad right that's how I felt every time I saw that message come up and I had a whole lot of unseen aid uh warning or uh, what is it uh decay or dragon rot yeah dragon rot yeah I had a whole bunch of those um I'm I'm still not 100% sure, but I want to say Unseen Aid is like, it's like the percentage that you, once you die, that you don't lose anything when you come back. Am I am I right about that? You don't lose any XP or uh, any money? Exactly. Like, yeah. Unseen Aid is what I call like a benefit. Like, it's inconsequential as far as like, you're not getting punished for it. It's more of a reward. It's just that your probability of that reward happening is lower. So, from my understanding, then it's like the if you die, you get unseen aid. So, in theory, you're just the more you die, the less likely you are to get aid because, right? Because more people around the world have gotten dragon rot, essentially. Okay, so it's it's basically a mechanic that punishes new players. It's not punishing anybody. Like it's yeah, a hundred percent a benefit. <laughs> But you said like I, I get where you're coming from, yeah. like I, I guess. But I get I don't what think you're it's... thinking. But at the same time, like it's almost like it'd be like um, not getting an extra item in Mario Kart or something. Whereas like you're intended to play without getting like that extra item in the first place. Gotcha. So it's basically it's it's a reward for playing well and not a punishment for playing poorly. Correct. That's what I'm trying to say. Gotcha. And um, like you said, it is intimidating because I think I didn't know what Unseen Aid was until like three quarters of my first playthrough. I just, I did the same thing you were doing where I just die occasionally instead of resurrecting. And I guess since we're in the gameplay mechanics section, I should go ahead and explain it. So like I said during the story outline, Wolf is protecting Kuro, who is like, the divine heir and he has this essentially royal bloodline and what that royal bloodline allows um kuro to do is give the power of immortality to certain people and since wolf is his bloody his bodyguard he received that blessing so from a gameplay perspective wolf is able to get to zero hp in a fight and die but then a little pop-up comes up on screen asking if you if you want to resurrect. And if you choose to resurrect, you can do it. But if you die during that resurrect, it can potentially cause other people around the world to get what's called dragon rot, which causes them to like cough and peeve and stuff like that. And it reduces your chance of unseen aid. So um, there's one more point I wanted to make about the whole resurrect thing. You typically can only do it once in like a segment at first, but if you end up killing enough enemies or I think enough time passes, your resurrect charge will come back 
I think anytime you capital D die, like you fade to black and go back to a checkpoint, you automatically get one charge. And you do get items later in the game that allow you to get more than one charge. So I think I think I had up to three. Only you only get one off the bat from the um idol. But then if you play, I guess, long enough or kill enough enemies, then you can potentially get up to three charges. I don't think anybody else here got to the point where they got two, because that's kind of, like, I think that happens around halfway through the game. I saw, like, two of those emblems down there, but I don't know if that, if I actually had two, I guess, because... Yeah, you, you would have two at that point. Okay. I guess you might get it after that first boss, I forget. But truth be told, it's kind of difficult to get that second charge up, because you have to kill quite a bit of stuff. There's only one time in the game that I can remember where I died twice and was able to resurrect two times. like, mm-hmm. out, And that was during a boss fight, if I remember right. Yeah, I feel like that's when it tends to happen, because it must be the number of hits you get on the boss or something like that that charges it. But, um, so the gameplay loop, I did want to get into this. So, we've already talked, this game is mostly about, like, sword combat. That's your primary weapon. And then, going back to the name Sekiro, which means one-armed wolf, in that initial tutorial battle, Sekiro loses his arm to Genichiro, and it's refitted with a prosthetic, which ultimately can be a number of weapons, essentially. So, you start with Shuriken, you move to um, an axe, you can get like a flamethrower thing, fireworks... You get an umbrella at one point, which allows you to block projectiles, which is pretty cool. And then it also has a grappling hook attached to it where you can um, traverse the environment and grapple to just various points, you know, across the map. And typically speaking, the gameplay loop is you start at an idol, which is kind of like your bonfire if you're familiar with the Soul series. Otherwise, like, it's essentially a checkpoint where... You rest at it, you regain all of your health, you regain all of your charges of your healing, but in the process, all of the minor enemies get revived every time you rest there. So you start at one of these, you navigate the area, you normally have to take out quite a few um, just kind of minor enemies along the way. You might run into a sub-boss, and then, typically speaking, you try to get to the next idol or you find a boss. So, what did you guys think about the basic gameplay loop? I'll I'll start with you, Marcus. I mean, the gameplay loop was fine. Like, <laughs> don't start with me. Start with somebody else. <laughs> that's fine. Okay. <laughs> Greg, did you do you think that's pretty accurate as far as like the gameplay loop, generally speaking? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. I mean, the the grappling hook, I think is kind of important because having verticality in this game uh, helps out a lot because I feel like it's really easy to pick off a few enemies, hide out for a little bit, go back, pick off a few more. Uh, It's very easy to escape. Whereas like a lot of previous from games, it's like, well, I can't even jump in a lot of these or like the jump button's really (laughs) obtuse. So Sekiro also features a, I guess, stealth mechanic where you can, Hiding grass, you can get up on ledges, and if you approach an enemy from behind or above, 
a red dot will appear on them, allowing you to do a backstab. Backstabs typically take out minor enemies in one hit. On sub-bosses, it will allow you to take out one of their, um, I guess, one of their dots. Essentially, they have multiple health bars. Typically speaking, most of them have two, some of them have three. And if you get that first one off, you're essentially starting the fight halfway through it, which is a major um, benefit. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know about that uh, for like the first two or three hours. So I was stuck at like the first couple like sub bosses just because I couldn't figure it out. And I was like, I was just looking online at like tips for the game. And that was one of the things they were saying is like, if you can, you know, get that that first like stealth hit and take half their life bar down, it makes the, the fight way, I wouldn't say way easier. Cause it's still hard. Cause you still have to, you know, deal but with, I mean, you're, you're fighting attacks. half of them versus, yeah. You know. yeah. So and normally there's like a puzzle element to it because like a lot of the bosses are facing such a way, or they might have people around them where it makes it difficult to get that first stealth hit. So you kind of have to know how to navigate the arena and figure out like, Oh, if I sneak around here or I use this sugar because Sugar is one of the items that you can use to potentially make your footsteps quieter and get a backstab. Go ahead, Marcus. Uh, so I was going to say, um, I, I I did like the verticality, like you guys were saying. I, that was probably my favorite part. Just like getting around and being able to escape was very helpful. I try to be mm-hmm. stealthy and try to play this game like <laughs> Batman. <laughs> so I would like, <laughs> you know see a group of people and i would take them out one by one but from like the roof where i would just you know jump off jump down stab them when you know the person that's in the the, the the back when the other two people are doing the routes and then i would just rinse and repeat and i was trying to use the um the ceramic thing to make a noise to like try to like get people but like I, the items didn't work the way i wanted them to usually the only one that i felt like uh worked how i wanted it to was the uh the ash to blind people oh man i i learned about the ash this playthrough i didn't use it that much but it's pretty good <laughs> yeah 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 it's pretty good um but uh yeah like i i try to do it that way and so taking out people that um stealthily you know that was when i was most successful um so yeah okay cool 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 trevor how did you feel about the general gameplay loop well it was okay. Like, are you are you saying from from going from a totem to defeating an enemy and getting to the next totem? Yeah, just how did you feel about, like, that whole... Ex- I shouldn't call it experience because I know how you feel about the experience. But, like, essentially the concept of, okay, I'm starting here. I have to go through a couple enemies. There's this verticality to it. Um, I can take out a couple enemies via stealth. Some of them I'm just going to have to face head on. And then there might be like a sub-boss around the way before the next totem. I like the um, the stealth part of this game. Simply because, like I said earlier, it reminded me of Assassin's Creed because... Like, you're... I, I was running across rooftops, to be honest with you. Like, whenever I would see that green dot pop up, I would immediately hit um, left trigger... So I could get to the top of the buildings, and I think you watched this part of when I was playing. Like mm-hmm. I would just get the lay of the land and see where the enemies were going, um, 
try to memorize their routes or whatever. And then I would try to pick them off one by one. And then I would either escape to the grass or get back to the rooftop. And I okay. would honestly avoid combat. That part was really fun to me. Um, Same. <laughs> and I really appreciated how simple the um, the controls are. Because, I mean, it, it basically starts you off saying, hey, use right bumper to attack, left bumper to block. And then it kind of gets a little bit more complex from there. But that simplicity of it made the gameplay, like if I did get into combat situations, it it made it simple. Um, up until I got to um, enemies that um, did like unblockable hits and, um, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. But um, other than that, I, I enjoyed that aspect of the game. I, I think it's it's really well done like i i didn't run into any hitches as far as like um you know as far as the um uh, i guess me utilizing stealth to kind of go through combat scenarios with um the minor enemies okay cool 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 so i do want to get into like the basic combat feel and I feel like that's kind of what the make or break part of this game is for most people. And, and this discussion. For. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'll, I'll go ahead and kind of explain the combat mechanics. So you have your sword. You're able to just attack with the right bumper. Speaking of which, let me backtrack. What system did everybody play this on? Because I did forget to ask that. Uh, I played on uh, Xbox One as... Or X, my bad. Okay. Xbox One. PS4. Okay, and I was doing the Steam version this time. I think I did Steam last time as well. I actually wish I played it on PC instead, but, uh, I mean, Ooh, it yeah. was the Xbox One uh, Xbox One version was, like, the cheapest one out, because so, it was on sale. So I ended up picking it up. So I think the PC version might be the only one that's 60 frames, which definitely helps a lot. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I really wanted to play it on that. I don't think the frames held me back, so <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised. I didn't become a frame rate snob until the PS5 came out, but now everything I'm like, oh gosh, everything does run better on performance mode. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, the basic combat: so you have a sword. RB is your primary light attack. You can also hold RB to do a heavy attack. You have LB, which works as your um, regular block, and you can either press that... Well, you hold it to actually block, but then if you tap it, you essentially do a deflect or parry. And the concept is both you and your opponent have a parry meter in addition to your health meter. If you fill up your opponent's parry meter then you can do a critical hit which will instantly just take out one health bar from them if they manage to make your parry meter go all the way up you're essentially um oh they have a specific term for it in dark souls but i can't think of it but essentially you're staggered and you take major damage if you get hit right there and you also can't like roll for a little bit so the combat 
at least at the fundamental level, ends up being this very big back and forth between you and the enemy trying to take chips at the opponent's health bar because the less health they have, the more parry damage or the more stagger damage you can do. So you're trying to break their posture. They're trying to break your posture. So in the process, you're doing all these offensive moves, but then you're also trying to do skillful defense. And also you can evade by pressing the B button to just do an outright dodge, essentially. You have to dodge in a direction, though, right? Huh? You have to dodge in a direction, right? I think if you just hit B, it does a little back step. Yeah. But you can also dodge in directions. I did not know that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, So that's the, like, level one of the combat. It gets a lot more complicated because... One, you have items, which you can kind of navigate with the D-pad. At least that's how the Steam version worked. And the items do a variety of things. So the number one item is the gourd, which is your healing, essentially. And every time you rest at a, um idol, all your healing charges for the gourd get recharged. You also have something called a pellet, which is a finite number of heals that you can do, like, It's just an item in your inventory, and those don't get recharged um, every time you rest. Then you have what I'll call tactical items, like the ceramic shard and the fistful of ash, which you can use in combat. One, the ceramic shard, you can throw and kind of divert enemies in a certain direction if they haven't seen you. The fistful of ash, you can essentially throw it in their face like it's a bunch of sand and kind of leave them vulnerable for a little while. And then you also have support items like there's quite a few different sugars in there's in this game. There's like Akko sugar, Ungo sugar. I can't remember all the different sugars. But essentially, if you consume one of those, you can get a boost to your attack power, a boost to your chance of discovering rare items, um, boost to your spirit emblem finding rate. And that goes into the next thing, which is the prosthetic. So, like I was saying earlier, Wolf has a prosthetic he can use. You use that with X. Using any attack with the prosthetic consumes spirit emblems. And these can do a variety of things. So, one example is the axe, which you just swing that down on the enemy. And essentially, if they're holding a shield or they're in some type of guard stance, it just completely eats away at the guard and it also does heavy posture damage you've got fireworks which startle a lot of beast enemies so like when marcus was fighting a boar boss that or i guess it's a bull boss that you fight a little ways into the game if you use the fireworks it startles them and they stop attacking for about maybe five to ten seconds and you can just get a couple free hits in here and there Then you have, like, shuriken, which can be used to, one, just kind of bait enemies out from a group of enemies and um, take out smaller enemies at range. So there's a lot of them. There's probably about 10 different um, shinobi prosthetics that can all be upgraded to do different things. And then finally, you have a skill system, which essentially you get these things called esoteric text and essentially you have a skill tree which you can go through and depending on what you want you know you can go down certain paths so 
one of the things I recommended to Marcus was like, there's these passive healing ones that make it so every gourd you use will heal more health. So though there's almost no downside to using those. Then you also have combat ability ones. Like one I like is called the itchy Monji where you kind of raise your sword up and you do a downward strike on your enemy. And it does like ridiculous amount of posture damage. And then later in the game, after you get the second sword, you get something called, I guess, mortal blade skills or whatever. And that allows you to do a, like, it's a new set of abilities you can use after you backstab an opponent. So the first one you get, for example, you backstab and then you hit RB again. It consumes a couple spirit emblems, but it allows you to um, create essentially like this giant fog of mist and you can kind of just go and backstab another enemy while that fog is going off. Or the one that I use for like 90% of this playthrough was the possession one. So if you get a backstab on one enemy, you can hit RB and that then that enemy fights for you. And it can be really helpful as far as like creating these zoning capabilities where like, okay, he's going to distract all these enemies over here. And now I can fight this one guy I really want to fight one-on-one while everything else is happening. So what did you guys think about the combat system in general? I'll start with, um, I'll start with you this time, Marcus. I mean, combat was fine. Like, I think it was deep. I think it was, uh, fun at times. Uh, but for me, <laughs> I was just not good at it, and uh, I opted to try to play more stealthily, uh, and a lot of the things that you say, like the upgrades and stuff, I would not have known how to get to, because some of them required you to do some type of side mission, or to buy a specific item and take it to, so I just would not have known, because one of the things that I was running into, I was I was not great at combat, so I constantly didn't have money. And um, so I would not have been able to necessarily even afford, be able to afford certain items without being able to sell stuff. So it was just... Did you know that you got coin purses no, that you could sell? No, I did not. Okay. Wow. Like, like I said, like, the items, I did... I, <laughs> <laughs> this game does require you to read a little bit. I mean, I, I definitely I'm, looked up some stuff about this game. I'm so. normally, I'm normally that type. Like, I normally am reading codex and everything like that. But I just was like, I, I guess it's because I was like thinking that I lost everything when I died. So I just always assumed mm-hmm. I didn't have anything besides the stuff that was like quick. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, that you could equip. On your on your D pad, you know the quick select items. Mm-hmm. So I was just assuming that whenever I died, because I always saw like I lost you know X amount of money or whatever. I was just assuming I lost my items too, based off oh, of what no. I knew about the based off what I thought is how the the uh, the Soul series worked. So I I didn't I don't know like I also only had the one dude the one shopkeeper at, at least the point in the game I was at. So it wasn't like I had the opportunity to like see a bunch of shops and realize that fact, you know? It was like basically so, like, go ahead. The shops in this game, they're 
there's the main guy, which is the sculptor at the very beginning of the game. And he pretty much says, yo, if you find anything that you think you could put on your arm, come back to me and I'll put it on. Aside from him, there are these, I don't know how to describe it, but they're called the Memorial Mob. And essentially, they're just located randomly across the map. And you can buy a lot of stuff from them. And they're just kind of scattered throughout um, Ashina. So, like, the shopkeeper, it's a little different than most traditional games in some ways as far as, like, okay, here's the guy I go to for upgrades. There's also Emma, who you can give gourd seeds to that upgrades your um, your gourd um, reveals or whatever you want to call them. But then there's also the memorial mob, which you find them across the map, and then they'll normally be selling... They'll sell coin purses, which... Honestly, the first time I played through this game, I didn't really get the point of them, to be perfectly honest. Because I'm like, why would I pay money to buy this thing? But then, like, this time I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot. This is 101. So, essentially, like, you pay a 10% upcharge. So, like, a small coin purse is 110, and, like, a large coin purse is, like, 550. So, you're losing 10% by buying up to it. But then that stuff is pocketed forever. So if I die, I don't lose my coin purse. Yeah. I, I, I guess I missed the text that had, that was explained. I didn't know. So, mm. <clears throat> Is that normal in this whole series? Like that, uh, 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 what do you call it, mechanic? Which mechanic in specific? Uh, the The coin uh purse thing that you were just talking about no so it, it essentially is like what the, the gold nugget in pokemon right fine yeah i guess so like because you do lose money in pokemon anytime you pass out or whatever so yeah that's a good analogy um you mean y'all never shut the game off like if y'all if y'all get defeated i never had to i mean I want that on my Marcus record. Tried to shut the game off in this game, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I shut the game off in this game, and then I came back and I got to see what I missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is one thing that the series is also known for. Like the game is essentially, well, this one's actually a little bit different. The game's always persistent, so if you turn off the game, you start literally like right in the middle of whatever you were doing. And one of the big controversies about the Soul series is that pausing is essentially not a thing there. Like, you cannot pause those games, even if you're on offline. So you kind of have to find a safe place before you put the controller down. Otherwise, enemies are just going to wail on you. And you definitely can't go to, like, a menu during combat because that's just, you're guaranteed to die pretty much. Oh, I just realized another thing that you didn't touch on. I, I'm, I'm really sure that neither you or Greg probably interacted with it, but I'm sure me and Trevor did. But the remnant system, um, which I that was something that I was familiar with in Souls, having heard about, and it was a, a, a way to basically be able to watch somebody record themselves and do something and give like 
tips or you know like go go here to find this item or whatever and there was like a, oh, a, yeah. a honor system so like people could like upvote something or downvote something so i was interacting with those a lot in the beginning because there was a ton but like most of them were like just dudes just running <laughs> and like not really helpful but like uh, that required people you looking really a, confused yeah that required you to have an internet connection um so yeah, yeah I, I didn't really understand what that was. Like I, I got the gist that it was probably somebody in another game, but it was only like a thirty second clip or so, mm-hmm. and you really couldn't see. You can only see where their character moves. You couldn't see like enemies that were on the map. So if they were actually going into combat, it wasn't that beneficial. But I mean, if they were showing you like where an item was or something like that, that's when they would be beneficial. But that that wasn't necessarily the part I needed help with. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, I used yeah, it a like, lot. <laughs> oh, go ahead. No, you go. Um, no, I was just going to say, like, just in my experience from, like, other Souls games that I had played, I never found them. Granted, I mean, I didn't get very far into Demon Souls or Dark Souls, but I didn't find them, like, very helpful there. And it could also be because I was playing on Xbox, but there just there wasn't very many of them uh, when I was playing. Like, I think... In the very first area, there was a couple, but I didn't even bother them uh, after I did it the first time because I'm like, these aren't going to show me anything that I really need to know. So it's like, I just kind of left them alone when I did see them. Yeah. Um, so they were patched in kind of late last year. So like a lot of the zeitgeist around this game had already gone, I guess. And in my opinion, like a lot of people, it, like the remnant system isn't something you go back to a Souls game for. Like, if I see that in the patch notes, I'm not like, dang, I got to boot Sekiro up now and leave some messages for people. But even with that being said, I think this one seems a little bit more useless than it is in the Souls series. Just because, like, Souls has two different types of things. It has messages, which are pretty much like this. And then it has bloodstains. So messages, you can set up text and be like, beware of chest ahead or something like that and that'll tell you like okay there might be a chest in the next room it might even be a mimic which is like a chest that eats you in the souls games that that is the thing that happens um hey we just encountered one but, of those in our D session well, yeah yeah now you know so they can have stuff like that but then people also like to troll with them at the same time so Occasionally, you'll get a message being like, drop down here for amazing loot or something like that. And then you drop down and it's like, oh, no, this is actually just death. So it's an interesting mechanic. Some people like love it. Some people hate it. And then you have the bloodstains, which essentially the game automatically upon death gives you like a 15 second recording of everything leading up to that death. So like... Sometimes, like, right before a boss or, like, right before, like, the Dragon Bridge or something, you'll just see all of these bloodstains on the ground. And it's like, oh, maybe maybe I should look at one of these. Maybe this is trying to tell me something. So, it's a really interesting system. And the fact that it's, like, asynchronous multiplayer, which I don't know if it's the first game to do it, but it feels like it is definitely, like, one of the major things people took away from the Soul series. like since then but i don't know i feel like sekiro didn't do quite as good of 
of a job with that system as the previous Souls games did. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, let me see where I was. So, I asked you about the combat. How did you feel about it, Trevor? About the combat? Yes, and before I get into you, I also wanted to bring out the unblockable attacks because you did mention those earlier and I did forget to mention them. So, essentially, enemies have a variety of attacks. Most of them can be blocked and parried, but occasionally a red symbol will appear right in front of the enemy, and that means they're about to perform an unblockable attack. Some unblockable attacks can be parried in various ways, like you get a skill called the Makiri Counter, which allows you to essentially hit B anytime enemy any enemy thrust at you with an unblockable, and you essentially step on their lance or whatever, and then you do like major posture damage. But in general, you normally have to either like evade or dodge or jump to evade most of those attacks. But go ahead and give your impression to the gameplay or the combat, Trevor. So my impressions of the combat were, I think I mentioned it before, I, I enjoyed being able to just pick enemies off. That was the fun part um, of the combat. And even if I did get into like a um, like an actual fight scenario, um, the controls were simple enough for me to to just take out enemies as long as I didn't get overwhelmed by them. Um, every time I got overwhelmed by enemies, it was like that. <laughs> there's this meme on the internet, a short video clip of somebody getting jumped and, and they're yelling, "Fight back! <laughs> fight back!" Oh yeah, I know. Sure. <laughs> That's how it felt. Um, yeah, I I a hundred percent felt that a hundred percent. And then, of course, um, when you get into different types of enemies, like um, there was an earlier part where I think when I first started getting overwhelmed was when you get into that. Um, I guess it's like a flashback sequence, and yeah. Um, you encounter enemies with torches, mm-hmm. and um, and whenever those do chip damage, yeah. Whenever they, whenever I got swarmed by those enemies, like I was expecting, like every single enemy that you fight to be like this honorable samurai or shinobi, like all right, come at me one on one, but um. But not the case with these guys. Too much Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> played way too much Assassin's Creed. I'm, I'm thinking these guys have honor or something. You know, it's supposed to be Shinobi here. You're the Shinobi. Those are like like dudes with pitchforks and torches. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, trying to discern like different enemies' attacks, like while you're being attacked simultaneously is is difficult um that was one of the more frustrating parts of the combat for me um but as far as like one-on-one encounters i think those were pretty fun because i was playing it kind of like marcus where you know i wanted to be um like batman from arkham asylum and be able to you know see his attack coming and parry um like I, I enjoyed parrying more than just straight up blocking, but I understand how it's necessary. Um, but the way I was playing just wasn't conducive to um, 
large groups of enemies. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that does. But um, but I think that's my impression of the combat. I, I liked it for the most part. Um, it, it's always like whenever I encounter an enemy, um, and like there's there's no getting around it. Like he he spots me immediately and starts coming at me. It kind of like turns into one of those western um, sound effects where you lock eyes and, and it's just like a showdown right there. It's like all right, come on. But then when when you start getting jumped. It's like you don't know which way to turn or who to focus your um, um, your attacks on or your camera angle on. Um, but then as far as combat with um, mini bosses, I don't think I got to any actual bosses. I don't think we've discussed how far we got in the game yet, but I spent a lot of time um, dying but also fighting the same enemies over and over. But, um, as far as fighting the mini-bosses, um, I noticed there's a huge, um, variance in, in fighting, um, boss enemies because, like, they have several attacks, of course, but Mm -hmm. when I was watching guides on how to beat them, it seemed like sometimes they were fighting completely different bosses or mini-bosses than I was just because of their attack patterns, how aggressive they were, and there's no difficulty in this game as far as I could tell, like where you could change the difficulty of it. Um, but it, sometimes they were a lot less aggressive. Um, sometimes the person playing would stick really close to the enemy and and be able to dodge from side to side and then get in hits pretty quickly. Um, well, when I tried to do that, every attack that the enemy did was an immediate grab, um, so I, I think there is a lot of, um, there's a lot to the development of this game where they put like a lot of, um, attack sequences and, and different, um, just different attacks and different ways that enemies can, um, approach you. Yeah. And that's one of the things I definitely want to, um, get onto at one point where like the Souls games maybe more so than the combat are known for like having hundreds of distinct enemies and like very distinct bosses. Like I can't remember if it's bloodborne. I feel like bloodborne might have like 25 or 30 different bosses. Yeah. I think bloodborne is the one that I saw where a lot of people, I think there was a story where they were finding bosses that were hidden in the game. Yeah. Like there are bosses in, that were cut one. And then there's also something called the chalice dungeon, which is kind of like this. How do I even, it's almost like a rogue version of bloodborne that you can do. And I think at a certain level, you start just fighting bosses that aren't in the main game. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Greg, how did you feel about the combat? Um, I think for the most part, I liked it. It's one of those things where, um, when I'm playing well, uh, if I like actually like, you know, don't like one of the issues I have with this game is sometimes I'll get a little over ambitious with how I'm playing it. And usually that ends to ends up causing me to just die pretty like over and over and over. So as long as I like kind of respect everybody and yep. play it like pretty patiently, like the way I usually would get into encounters, I didn't want to fight more than two people. I like, 
most of the time I would want to take people out one or two at a time and then I would just run away. But like sometimes I just couldn't do that or uh, I was just trying to, you know, bite off more than I could chew, I guess. And usually it just went downhill from there. But, um, you know, for like general encounters, as long as I like kept it at like one to two enemies at a minimum, uh, it wasn't too bad. Um, I did die a lot. I mean, not, not to not to make it seem like I was like good at this. I died a lot, and it took me like maybe five hours to finally get past like the first mini boss, I guess, which would be like the I guess the ogre, um, or I guess that was like the second one I ran into. But um, yeah, I mean, it took me a while to get past him, but it was just because I was trying to brute force it. Uh, you know, just trying to like force it and like not really pick my spots well. It's a um, it's a tough fight for where it is in the game, and especially because he fights so unlike everything you fought until you know up until then. He's not he's the first enemy really without a sword or like aside mm-hmm. from like the chickens and the dogs. <laughs> Literally, like it, I'm hearing you guys talk about the ogre, and I did die to the ogre, but I maybe spent like. 30 minutes on the ogre in comparison and like it was he was easier for me to fight because i was like i was like i can't hold the block button because i don't want to like i for whatever reason i didn't think you could or like i didn't think that that's how you played the game so i was dodging everything instead of parrying stuff and so like playing him played directly into that play style of like just dodging and i was dodging directions the whole time so he kind of trained me to do that so i didn't even know you could dodge in place um but it was the other bosses the other mini bosses that i had more trouble with the ones with the swords like i know how to fight a grappler <laughs> Like, my issue with that area was, like, one, I think I was just, like, timing my dodges incorrectly. And also, it's kind of a very tight area. So, it's, like, you don't really have a whole lot of room to avoid a lot of his stuff. And, again, it was, like, you would get to those points where I would almost have him killed. And I'm, like, okay, I'm going to go hard this time. Or, like, try and get an extra attack in. And usually that's when I end up dying. Just trying. It's always the last hit you need. Yeah. It, it um, always is. And that guy, he does, like, the most disrespectful thing with his, like, super grab where he, like, grabs you and then just, like, throws you over his head and then off the cliff. Yeah. Like, oh, man. But Some of the yeah, for moves the, are just okay. so over the top. It just, you can't help but laugh sometimes. Yeah. But in, in general, um, I liked it. It's just one of those games where, like, uh, I have to, like, play smart like i can't you know like there's times even you know like ninja gotten gets a lot of a lot of shit on this uh podcast but like Deservedly ninja gotten, there's, so. some, there, <laughs> there's definitely some times where you could kind of just like uh cheese enemies in that game uh but like you can't really do the same thing in this like you pretty much got to respect everybody you come across and that's kind of it it makes the game very tense but mm-hmm. i guess that's kind of where the fun comes like you you really have to you know like you really have to think about how you want to deal with all these enemies. Right. And I'm pretty much going to echo what you said, where like this game forces you to be humble. If you want to really succeed at it, like I have to go into every encounter knowing like any of these guys, if I just completely disrespect them is probably going to kill me. And I need to fight each one of these, even like even late game when I'm just fighting the little foot soldiers or whatever, I'm like, I can't just run into a group of three or four of them and expect to live. 
So I need to come up with a strategy to backstab one of them. Then maybe I can do like a spiral attack that's going to take down like two of them or at least get them weak and then go from there. And I think even me playing, this is my second time playing through the game. The first time I played through the game, there are certain bosses that literally took me like three hours, I'd like to say, on the first playthrough. And then I got to them this time, and I finished them in, like, 25 minutes. And I think it's just because, like, I had a better understanding of how to parry, how to block. I was more respectful. I didn't go for cheap hits here and there. Like, even if the boss was, like, one pixel away. And this is this is something that literally happened to me during my Twitch stream because I streamed all this game. There's a secret boss at the end of the game, and has three of those full health bars and like I'd say a actual run on him takes about maybe 15 minutes literally got him to the point where he might have a pixel on his last health bar and I was like I need to finish this I don't have any more healing gourds I just need to get in there and do it and sure enough he hits me with an unblockable and <laughs> just I had to respect it I was like man he actually got me I thought I had him, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of this game and, like, the enjoyment of this game is kind of learning just, like, to be humbled and, like, accepting of those deaths because they do happen a lot. And, like, if you can't get past that initial barrier of just being like, man... I've been fighting this thing for like 30, 45 minutes. And, you know, like, that's not for everybody. And I understand that. But that is definitely like one of the big hurdles. And I think that's what stopped me on my initial Demon Souls run and my initial Dark Souls run from actually finishing those games because I'm like, oh, this is, I'm not good enough. But then it just turns out, no, I'm getting better. And then you notice yourself getting better. And then, like, the second you actually take out a boss that you've been stuck on, it just. There is literally no gamer moment like it for me. Okay, so we've covered... Go ahead. I was going to say, like, I know that's, like, the the pull, and that's what a lot of people say. And um, that that was something that I was trying to... I was seeking that, uh, but I, I never got it. Like, I was just kind of like... The, the reason why, because it was like, okay, I beat this boss. Now what I'm going to face next and it was just like I already know. Like the next thing I'm going to see is going to be even harder than this. So I never had that like sigh of relief. It was just kind of like, what next? You know, it was kind of like that, where I was like dreading the next thing. So like that that place that I got stuck at, I got stuck um, where you last left me, or you know when mm-hmm. we did the share play, and I beat the boss up there. Uh, my strategy it took a while, and I beat him. And then I was like, all right, I got to get to the next spot. And then I immediately just kept getting bodied by those enemies. And that's where I left the game, where it was just kind of like, like, I just beat the boss. And now I'm having trouble with these, uh, uh, like, just normal enemies now. And I was just like, there's there's no winning. <laughs> so uh, that kind of kickstarts me into my next question for just everybody. What do you guys think about, like, the setting as far as, like, the overall world setting and then the enemies and the bosses? Um, like, 
I think it was an interesting setting. Like the, I I felt like I didn't have enough background in Japanese lore because I knew this was set in a specific time, and I know I talked to our friend Thomas, and he's in the process of learning Japanese, and he was trying to play the game. Uh, I we actually kind of got him. He started playing the game along with us. And he was telling us that, or telling me that, um, you know, the game is set in like feudal Japan or just a while ago. So they, some of the way they were talking were, uh, uh, ways that they no longer talk or speak with each other using certain words and things like that. So I thought that was a really nice touch to kind of help set the stage. But I think that that is like some nuance or like some subtext that you would only get if you were familiar with the Japanese language. And I kind of felt the same way with some of the characters and just some of the uh, the things in the game. I was just like, if I knew more about like Japanese folklore and things like that, I would get a better appreciation of it. But I still thought, like, overall, even without knowing it, I thought it was still interesting and, like, a cool setting. Trevor, how about you? I loved it. I I think it's a wonderful setting. Um, The atmosphere was pretty cool. Um, From, like, just the environment. Um switching from daytime to nighttime uh was a really cool touch in the game uh i did not get a lot of the story um it seemed like it it focused more on the character's past i guess but i don't know i'll I'll let you go more into that um but yeah other than that i thought it was pretty cool we'll get to that in a little bit um and I guess setting and ball, like enemy design, boss design, did you guys like, did any of that stand out to you? Just the way enemies were designed, stuff like that? The enemy, yeah, I mean, I, go ahead. Okay. You, got it, you got it. You got it. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I appreciated like the variety of uh, just like, I guess, cannon, oh, not cannon fodder enemies. I guess it's like kind of underselling it, but like the, the general enemies. Uh, that you run across, I kind of appreciated the uh, the variety of them, and like the bosses. I mean, I, I feel like they kind of have like the some of the best boss design because they're all like pretty unique. You know, they all have their own specific specific animations as far as like patterns. None of them really follow the same, or at least from what I played, um, none of them really follow the same type of type of pattern. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I like them. I was going to say, before Greg was being highly disrespectful about how unique these bosses were, um, the uh, the enemy, the the basic enemy designs were really interesting. I, I really liked that like short character with the big hat that had the poison attacks and that little blade, and he had that unblockable grab that, you know, broke your neck. Uh, but for the most part, a lot of these dudes were just like, just... I don't want to say stereotypical, but like that's essentially what they look like to me. Were like stereotypical Japanese, like what you would imagine, you know. Um, I didn't, I didn't think besides the ogre boss, and I didn't get super, super far, so I'm probably talking out of my butt. But I didn't think that they were like that varied, um, and oh, espe- especially, especially like I literally listened to our episode of No More Heroes earlier today. And, like, Mm. we were highlighting how varied and unique the bosses were in that game. And 
Like, I think they're different in, like, obviously two different games, and I think they're varied in a different type of way, but I wouldn't put it on, like, that level as far as varied, or even, like, a Killer7, where it's just, like, you're still oh. fighting the bosses the same, like, I, I don't know, I guess maybe I'm... I'm you're I'm, fighting I'm, bosses very differently in this game, like, I, if you're... I, oh, I guess the Killer7 is not a, an, an, an apt, uh, maybe, maybe... No I mean, it's a beat-em-up, it's an act, it's, it's... It's combat based and like I get what you're saying about like the design of the characters looking different, but typically speaking, most of those bosses you're getting to them, you're mashing square or triangle trying to get the um what's it called move off. Whereas this, it's like okay, this guy's on a horse. Yeah, yeah. Use these fireworks on him. If he does a certain slide, I can jump and grapple to him. Mm-hmm. Then there's and, and- the bull. Yeah. So, like, to me, the ones that stood out, the fights that stood out were, like, the dude on the horse, the little, the, not the little, the giant snake, um, mm-hmm. the ogre, and the, um, the only reason the boar stood out is because that was the first time I used the firecrackers. But, like, those those dudes that were the blue and the red with the little, um, the mask and the sword, mm-hmm. like, th- those were just, like, I mean, you, I, I think I fought them, like, two or three times in this game. And maybe it was different attacks. Like I didn't notice, but um, like I, I felt like that that particular sub boss popped up a lot in my short ten hours of playing this game. Like I fought him three times. Which guy? The the, the so it's the uh, you fight him. Like I can tell you the specific pot, spots because it was every time I got stuck. So after you clear, you beat the ogre. You you climbed into that little. Um, house and drop oh, down you're and, talking about the samurai with like the red armor yeah yeah that, yeah, that you fought that samurai three times in like 10 hours and i like that was too much to me <laughs> he he popped up a lot what'd you say i was gonna say that that's a relatively small fight i think he becomes kind of like a regular enemy it's like sure he becomes sure a foot soldier yeah, and i and i and i understand like he's probably like the, the this is how you you know you get in it's to acclimate the player to fighting somebody with two health bars. Um, but yeah. like, I, I know like that first time I fight, you fought him. Like that's, I mean, it, it's a, it's an ordeal. At least it was for me. Um, and it, it, it's an ordeal for me. The, that time at the Sheena castle or estate or whatever, because he was mm-hmm. surrounded by like six enemies. So I had to figure out a way yeah. to take out those six enemies and him. <laughs> So and that's kind of like every time you fight him, it's a little bit different. First time is solo, then you fight him, and he's kind of like on this lower plane. And then there's people shooting at you from up top if you don't take them out first. Yeah. Then you fight him at the castle with his homies, and And they're all up close. So like you have to deal with all of them unless you. You can actually get a backstab on him. You have to go around this little path. Yeah, yeah. I I could get backstabs on him, and but the problem was is that. I was never trained in uh, dealing with more than one enemy at a time. That's like not a skill mm-hmm. that I ever developed. So every time I tried to do it that way to like backstab him, I immediately was like, I'm getting shot from like four different spots. Like I had a love hate relationship with the lock on system in this game. Like sometimes it worked out really well, but a lot of times um, I was like, oh, like I, I wish I didn't have it on at this particular point. Like, I needed it for fighting, but I also 
didn't like having it on when I was surrounded, <laughs> you know? And that's a big reason as to why I always tried to keep it to like one to two enemies minimum. Yep. So like yeah. usually in those situations, like I said, I would just, I would try and like piece like as many enemies out as I could and then take care of like, so like in that particular area, I would just run out, kill everybody else, then try and like take him on. So I, like if I did get, if people did find me, I would just run back, wait till the, you know, wait till they stop looking for me and then take out a couple more. Just basically do that over and over. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things you have to kind of like figure out, like the Makiri counter. In fact, any move where you do a finishing blow, you're invincible. So essentially you're in this iframe period. So I would kind of like look around and be like, okay, who's low on health? Who, who can I do a finishing move on? I'd focus on them, know that when I finish them off, I can't be hurt, then kind of back off and then repeat the process. Mm -hmm. Um, Jumping ahead a little bit. So, um, where was I going to go? So, I wish, this is my wish for all of this, I wish we got a little bit further in the game so you could have seen, like, um, the tonal shift it takes. And... Typically speaking, the Souls games are kind of known for having these big shifts. So, Bloodborne, for example, like, at first it just seems like a game about um, vampires, not vampires, but, like, werewolves and, like, that type of Victorian England setting. But then, at some point, it kind of becomes this Cthulhu, like, Warcraft type of thing. And this game is very similar in that regard, where, like, you guys, everybody but Trevor got to the snake at least. So you saw this. There's a valley where you're going through it, and all of a sudden a giant snake just appears and kind of like he chases you. You're hiding from him. Eventually you go into this little um, tent-like structure, and you stab him in the eye, and you're able to escape. Well, that snake appears again later in the game, and you can actually end up killing it at some point, potentially. And then... Kind of after the Ashina Castle stuff happens, you you're on a quest to get what's called the Mortal Blade because um, Kuro wants it. And during that process, you kind of go into a more um, I guess it's more Buddhist. I'm not very familiar with like Buddhism in general, but from what I know, like a lot of the areas you adventure into are Buddhist designed and like they have these very like vivid colorful designs and there's some larger than life enemies so like there's this giant carp that chases after you in the water at one point and you end up fighting like this giant dragon and there's just a big shift that happens in the back half of that game that I wish you guys could have seen like because it is very different than the just regular foot soldiers that you're fighting for most of the first um, instance of that game, for example. Well, I'll be honest. I'll never see it. <laughs> uh, I kind of figured as much. So you should first... get to the end of Ashina Castle, though. Like you're, That would at least... I feel like that's a good stopping point, and you can be like, okay, I've, I've had my peace with Sekiro. Maybe I like this is the first game I played where I was like, 
do I want to take this to GameStop or do I want to take it to sell it on Facebook Marketplace? <laughs> like, wow. Oh, I was wow. just trying to think of how I'm going to get rid of this game. <laughs> how do I get my money back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, if, if power I, to the player if I can't or money get, to me. If I can't get my time back, how do I get my money <laughs> Straight up. I was just like, yeah, which one do I think I will get? Yeah, yeah. No lie. <laughs> So, um, before we get into the end of our conversation, I do want to very quickly just run over the story beats up until like our designated stopping point. It really shouldn't take that long because most of the story is in that upfront cinematic. So, pretty much, um, we talked about the tutorial area where you get your arm lopped off and essentially Kuro gets sequestered to the Ashina castle, and that sets up the main part of this game. You meet the sculptor, you get the prosthetic, and then you are on the road to Ashina castle from the dilapidated temple. You fight the first two sub-bosses, which are the samurai dude and the grappler, and then, I guess, another samurai dude not very long after um, the grappler. You go into... It's not called the Sunken Valley, because the Sunken Valley is later. But essentially, you go into a small valley, you get chased by a snake. Um, You get to the other end of that, and you fight a horseman, which is like the Ashina Gatekeeper. You take him out, and before we go to the Ashina Castle part, I'll also talk about the, the Harada Estate segment. So, essentially, you get a bell from a mother... And if you read the item description, it tells you, hey, if you take this back to the Buddha statue at the dilapidated temple, something might happen. So you do that, and essentially you relive a scene, I think, three years in the past where, um, I think it's Ashina Castle that's getting, no, it's not Ashina Castle, it's the Harada Estate that's getting under siege by um, some outside forces if you do that, you end up fighting um, this Lance dude who is pretty difficult. Did anybody fight and beat the Lance dude out of curiosity in the past? Uh, I'm trying to think. Is it you cross over a bridge and there's just this dude with? I'd like to say he has oh a yeah yeah I did I beat him yeah okay because okay. I was thinking about I, I, he's like a sub boss or like mini boss or whatever he right? is yeah okay yeah yeah I did beat him. So you beat him, you go up a little bit, and you end up um, fighting Juzo the Drunkard. Did anybody fight Juzo the Drunkard in the past? Yeah. Okay, did you beat him? Yeah, I did. Okay, cool, cool. So you beat those two, and not too long after, you fight a lady called... I can't remember if it's Lady Butterfly or Madam Butterfly. And I'm guessing that's where you probably stopped on the past part, Greg. No, yeah, I actually finished that, so that was what I finished okay, cool, today, cool. but yeah. Cool, so essentially she was like another mentor of Wolf's, and you find out that she was behind the who that was happening in the past. And then you get um, teleported into the future, or you go back to the present, and you go to Ashina Castle. There's a couple sub-bosses here. There's the guy on the stairs that we were talking about earlier. There's a Lance dude, I'd like to say, that's at the very tutorial. Like, you can go back to the tutorial area, and he is super difficult, but um, 
he gives you a pretty good item if you beat him. But then you essentially end up at the top of the Ashina Castle and you fight Genichiro, who is the grandson of Ichin. And essentially you, you fight him and kill him and then you talk to Kuro. And then you find out that Kuro wants to remove his divine heritage so people stop fighting over it. And then he sends you on a quest to obtain a couple items to perform the ritual that will allow him to remove the divine heritage from his bloodline. And that was our, you know, stretch goal stopping point. I didn't really expect anybody to get to it. Okay. So I guess we can get to closing thoughts. Um, so, before I say great game, great experience, I did have one more question. What were your thoughts on potentially continuing Sekiro, continuing, like, from software games in general, would you play a Sekiro 2? Sekiro Shadow Die three times? (laughs) No. I'll I'll start with um Greg cuz I think his is going to be the most reasonable answer. Um Frank. So so yeah, I'm I'm probably going to finish this. Like uh I mean, I I like my time with it. I don't I mean, I don't think I probably would have ever got around to playing it because like I said I feel I always felt like I'm playing these games like the wrong way, but like to me this one's probably like the uh, it's been the most approachable one for me so far cuz it's just more about playing the game versus trying to have like the perfect build or like trying to like figure that part out. Um, So it's a little bit more approachable for me. Um, And since I kind of put this much time into it, I feel like I'll probably finish it. Um, I don't know if I'll go and play the other games because like I said, my biggest hangups were the the build stuff. So it still seems like a bit of a commitment, but I'll at least probably. You would enjoy Bloodborne for sure because Bloodborne is very much like it does have the build stuff, but it is very less build emphasis than the Souls games. Okay, well, I could I could see myself giving that a shot. Then if it if this is if it's kind of like this, I guess. Yeah, that um, one you actually don't have a block. You can you can dodge or you can parry. So okay, okay. Um, but yeah, uh, at at the least, I'll probably see see myself through this one. And out of curiosity, because. When I try to describe this game to people, I say, like, to me, in the same way I describe Ninja Gaiden, I see this like a fighting game in a lot of ways, like, where people are trying to find, like, okay, this is blockable, this is, if I block this attack, I have this many iframes, I'm pretty sure there is an iframe, or, you know, recovery frame breakdown on Sekiro somewhere out on the internet. Do you think that's, like, a valid comparison? Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, as far as that, I I guess the... Somebody mentioned this, I guess, when I was listening to a podcast about this, but I mean, they kind of uh, said this game was more like Tenchu than it was like a traditional like Souls game. I don't know if that's really true, but uh, like, I guess gameplay wise, but um, but yeah, I mean, there's definitely like fighting game aspects where like you kind of have to understand like spacing, like how far their attacks are, like try and take advantage of little things. Like you said, when you... Uh, when you get the, uh, I forget what the attacks called basically, but you know the finishing attack. So you kind of, mm-hmm. you know, want to figure out the the right timing so you can take advantage of the invincibility on that, um, taking advantage of the invincibility on dodge. Sometimes, you know, so it's little stuff like that. So I mean, yeah, I kind of get the fighting game comparison. 
All right, Trevor. Um, you finishing this? You know what? I will try to finish the first section, like the Ashina's castle. Mm-hmm. I'll try to finish that because it's not quite that. I think if you if you can get that far, you, you might have a little. Like I'm not saying it will completely change your opinion, but you might have like a change of heart because the first time I went through. Demon Souls and Dark Souls, I was super like, nah, this is this is for a different caliber of gamer. But then I came back like with a fresh set of eyes. I mean, I, honestly, I think if I had more time with this game, um, I'd I'd bang my head against it a little bit more. But mm-hmm. just playing for a couple of hours and only progressing maybe thirty minutes at a time into the game, um. Is, is just kind of off-putting. I mean, I, I think that's my biggest frustration with this game is is just the the amount of time it takes that you put into this game and the um, progress that you make doesn't... For, for me, it, it doesn't even out. Okay. Marcus? Uh, I guess I... Before we started recording, um, it would have been the easiest no I've ever said in my life. Um, but if everybody else is doing it, I guess peer pressure will get to me. I um, I don't think that my opinion will change too much just finishing the segment I'm at. And I'm kind of also thinking like, Maybe I should wait a little bit and do it, but I feel like this is one of those games that if I wait too long to hop back into it, I may forget things, and then that will set me back even more and get more frustrated about like uh, how bad I am at the game, I guess you could say. Um, I always thought that this would be one of those games that is like, oh, like this would have been the... the, the the ideal time for me to play this game would have been when I was in college and I had like unlimited time and like no necess- not necessarily any responsibilities so I could like veg out on a game but now having played it I I don't think that I would have I I don't think I at, at any point in my life this would have been a game where I would have enjoyed playing that's fair um all right we're to the final question um well I guess I should also answer my own question. I, yes, I would love a Sekiro too. Please, from software, if you're listening, <laughs> please. Um, great game, great experience, Trevor. What game? What experience? I'll say, I'll say, good game. Not so great experience. Okay. Greg, how you feeling about it right now? Uh, I'll say. Great game, great experience. Marcus? Uh, I think this is a great game. It's it's well made. It's it, it, it does the things for the people that are into it. It is just not the game for me. So not my would, experience? Yeah, so I would say great game but mediocre experience. <laughs> no, I'll I'll take that. And for me obviously I Honestly, going into this, Sekiro was probably, like, I'd say my second least favorite Souls-like game from from Software. Like, 
at the absolute bottom is Dark Souls 2, which isn't a bad game. It's just not as good as the other ones. And then the first time I played through Sekiro, I wasn't really feeling it. Like, I was kind of getting frustrated with the difficulty at times. And um, there's a couple other things I just didn't feel about it. But this time, like, I don't know what clicked, but it's definitely moved up a little bit in my um, ranking of Souls games. How, is that there's five total, six total? So you have one through three, you have Demon Souls, and then you have Bloodborne this and, this. and Bloodborne. So six total. So, so it was number five, and now what is it? Just out of curiosity. It would probably be... I'd say probably it moved up tied for four with um, Dark Souls 3. Oh, I mean, I was thinking it was like top two. <laughs> no, I, I think Dark Souls 1... Well, Dark Souls 1 and Bloodborne are tied, and then this is tied with, like, Dark Souls 3 for me now. Okay, okay. So. And I had one more thing before. Um, Any questions that anybody has? F this game. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you did get the final word. I can't take that from you. Um... All right. Well, I guess I should say, like, where can everybody find you? Let's start with you, Marcus, since normally, you know, you're the host. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Twitch, Twitter and Facebook at Potato Salad. Greg? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Boombox Hero, on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Magnegro with a zero at the end instead of O. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Trevor. You can find me on the internet everywhere at Lyric Unsung. All right. And my name's Dante, and you can find me at twitch.tv slash awakencloud. And if you really want to, I'll probably upload my entire Sekiro playthrough to YouTube tonight. So if you just search for Awaken Cloud on YouTube and want to see me play through the entirety of this game, It'll probably be there. Heartache and all. Have to watch for some tips and some tricks. All right. Well, we are Miss Checkpoints, and we are Ghost.